Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Michelle Owen and this is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast World Cup Edition. Today we'll be looking back on day 17 of the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Spain put a shaky end to their group stage behind them to thrash Switzerland 5-1 and book their place in the last eight. And Japan continued their impressive form in this Women's World Cup, putting in another statement performance by knocking out Norway 3-1 and also reaching the quarterfinals. With me today from Australia are the Athletics Harriet Drudge and Steph Young. Hello, as they say here in Melby. <laughs> How you going? And we're joined from the depths of the Wellington Stadium in New Zealand, Aotearoa, by Michael Cox. Hello. We'll also be hearing from Laia Caveo Herrero later in the show. First up, Japan v Norway. So Japan defeated Norway comprehensively in the end 3-1. And Michael, you were there. What were your sort of immediate thoughts? We've just finished the game now. and What are your reflections? I suppose two things. One, that Norway had a very specific plan for trying to counteract Japan's front five, which was dropping Engen into the defence. A pretty unusual move, I would say. And you also have to say it backfired spectacularly with her opening the scoring with an own goal. Um, And I think just in general, it didn't really work in open play. And then on a more positive note, I think you have to say so far, Japan are not just the best team we've seen, but... I think the best we've seen by quite a long way in terms of their cohesion, in terms of their passing and interplay. I mean, Norway, a decent side. We know that they're not particularly cohesive, but they they, they weren't really on the same planet as Japan tonight. I know it was only 3-1 and Japan have, have beat other sides by bigger margins, but just in terms of the build-up play, how slick their movement is, how often they find a player in a dangerous position in space, they they feel to me like a club side. They've got that cohesion as if they have trained together for the last year, which obviously they haven't, but I don't think any other side so far has come close to the level that they've shown. Early goal for Japan then, another own goal in today's last 16 um, fixtures. Uh, Chelsea's Guro right and levelled for Norway, great header. It was basically one of the only bits of joy Norway had for most of the game against that Japanese defence, Michael. We're seeing Japan be so tactically astute. I think a few people thought maybe before the game in terms of physical stature, Norway, taller players, being really basic about it. But how did they keep Norway at bay so well? I think first and foremost, they just keep the ball really well. I know it sounds obvious, but I mean, I kind of agree with what you say about physical stature, but I think Norway had one corner. You know, if you don't get the mm-hmm. if you don't get the ball into the opposition third, you're not going to win many corners. And they also, they keep a quite a high line and keep opponents 
at bay that way. Actually, the manager afterwards, Ikeda, said that they dropped a bit too deep at times and he would have liked them to play a little bit higher. But I must admit, I didn't really notice that watching from the sidelines. I, I just think they... Yeah, until maybe the final 10 minutes when Norway just chucked everyone they had on the pitch in terms of attackers, they, they had a couple of headed chances. But in general, uh, yeah, I thought Japan were were comfortable as they were comfortable against Spain and as they were comfortable against Costa Rica and Zambia, which you would have expected. But, I mean, Spain and Norway, two decent sides, very good attacking players, and Japan have been miles better. You know, I, I, one's a 4-0, one's a 3-1, but to be honest, I think they were a similar level of dominance. Yeah, the game settled down slightly after Norway's equaliser, but in the second half, Japan regained the lead via Risa Shimizu. By the way, she is the first... West Ham current player to score at Women's World Cup. That was Japan's 13th goal of this World Cup. Their previous highest tally was 12 at Canada 2015. Japan have performed like this now against Spain and Norway. They face either Sweden or the US in the quarterfinals. Would you fancy them against either team? I'd fancy them to dominate the game, dominate possession. I would just worry about, I don't know, set pieces, the way Sweden have been. I think they've scored from four corners so far. The US obviously scored against the Netherlands when they were a little bit under the cosh and that got them out of trouble. So, yeah, just little things like that. Not just the physicality, but just the kind of the less glamorous side of the game, I suppose, uh, is, is maybe where they could come undone. I mean, it, it feels like when you get a side like this who just becomes everyone's favourite after the first four games, they quite rarely go on to win the competition. They just get beaten in quite an annoying way by you know, maybe a wily experienced team. But yeah, so far, I mean, if they play like they, they have in the last two matches, I think they'll be very difficult to stop. Steph, for Norway getting out of the group papered over the cracks, didn't it? Um, how do you reconcile the players they have at club level, some of the very best players in women's football with this team and how it's gelled or not gelled together, as it were? Yeah, I think we've had to take our guesses, right, based on limited information we've seen, like Ada Hegerberg walking out of that um, player huddle, and then later the report was that maybe it was some last-minute groin tightness or something like that. And, of course, Caroline Graham Hansen speaking quite candidly and then having to take it back. (laughs) Like, really bizarre statement, right? Not bizarre, it was quite a coherent statement, but, like, with Hegger Reese off to the side, like, watching her where it was like, what? Uh, all right, it doesn't feel like the vibes are great in camp right now, you know? But I think I keep saying, like, we see 10% of what's going on. We don't understand what the other 90% is on or off the field. Advancing into the round of the 16 deferred the issue later on. I think I was telling you guys earlier, it's like Great British Bake Off, where when they've done something wrong, they're like, I'm just going to cover the sins with icing sugar. And that's kind of what getting into round of 16 is. Um, except then the judges are always like, ah, yeah, you've overproved it. Or like they can they count the layers and they're like, this doesn't have the right number of layers. And like you can never paper over the sins for very long before you're discovered. Steph, uh, that's a brilliant metaphor as always on this podcast. Michael, I don't know if you've got a baking one for me, but what was the atmosphere like, would you say, for that Norwegian camp after the game? And would you agree with Steph? without the metaphor, perhaps? Well, perhaps you can come up with a better one. A little challenge for you. <laughs> no, I'm not sure I can beat that. Um, the atmosphere was almost resigned, I would say. I mean, I was actually speaking to a, a Norwegian journalist here. I commented on the fact she's not going to get to see Australia, and she said, yeah, I almost didn't bother to book the visa for Australia because I knew we wouldn't get that far, which kind of sums up the way they're thinking. I mean, watching them tonight, I must say I haven't seen all of their games so far because I've been at other games and travelling and stuff, but... You know, there's obviously a big divide in terms of they've got very good attacking players and quite weak players defensively. And I think we've spoken about that generally in terms of, you know, they might concede goals as they did 
famously against England this time last year. But watching them tonight, what was clear was they just can't really pass forward from the back. The, the, the players are just not good enough on the ball. I mean, Engen, who was the holding midfielder, was constantly gesturing for Harvaken and Mielder to bring the ball forward before they passed it. But they just, they're just not comfortable on the ball. And yeah, I don't know if all the games have been like that, but that would be my answer to why the, the attackers haven't got firing because they, they don't receive the, the ball in good situations. They, they almost resort to long ball football quite early. You know, they played a lot of really basic long balls towards the centre forward, towards the wingers, but they didn't really get it down and play. And, and that's why we don't see Guru Reeton running with the ball. We don't see Caroline Graham Hansen running that much with the ball because they're just not getting it in good situations. So yeah, it's frustrating because they've got, on paper, they've got the best fr- uh, front four in this competition if they're all fit, which obviously they weren't. But yeah, like I say, the atmosphere from the, the Norwegians I spoke to was just, yeah, this is kind of what we expected. We're not at the same level as Japan. Yeah. Okay, Michael, my producer tells me you've got to get a shuttle car back from the post-match press conference. It's not a shuttle bus. You're too good for that. It's a chauffeur-driven car. We will let you go. Thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And Harriet, in terms of Norway, they didn't look very cohesive, did they? And as we've talked about, we heard the rumblings behind the scenes. You saw that translate on the pitch, would you say? Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think so. And it's it's something I've spoken to a, a few of the, the guys out here about is that and some of the players have mentioned it across different countries as well. Particularly one player who sticks in my mind is Aitana Bonmati. She said that a lot of, you know, the Spain players play together at Barcelona and that kind of forges connections. And it means that when they get to international level, even though they've been kind of dealing with uh, troubles off the pitch as well, it means when they get on it and they walk across that white line that they do have those connections and it looks like, you know, they they are ready to go and working towards one common goal when you watch Norway you just don't get that and a lot of that I think probably does come down to the fact that the the players in the Norway squad aren't playing together every week there there are very few players in that team who play together uh, across different leagues and different countries and I, I think that really has kind of come to fruition during this tournament and you can you've kind of seen it in their results. So Spain and Japan are our first two quarterfinalists in this World Cup. The Netherlands, South Africa, Sweden and the USA all in action tomorrow. We'll look ahead to their games next. Our first last 16 tie of this World Cup saw Switzerland take on Spain, with both sides entering the knockouts with some convincing to do. The Athletics' Laia Caveira Herrera was at Eden Park in Auckland, Tamaki Makarau and sent us this report just after the final whistle. Spain made history this afternoon at Eden Park Stadium in Auckland. They have won their first knockout game in a World Cup in their history. It is the first time they have reached the quarterfinals. They beat Switzerland 1-5 with a great game by Atana Bolmati, who has already submitted her official candidacy for the next Ballon d'Or. She led the team in the best game Spain has played in the whole competition. We have seen a Spain dominating the game and they got everything they didn't get against Japan. They played fast, vertical, controlling the midfield with ideas in the playmaking, solid defensively and creating danger. In short, they have been dominant in all facets of the game. Bomati scored two goals and was followed by Alba Redondo, Jennifer Hermoso and Laia Codina. Codina also scored Switzerland's only goal early in the game and on goal. After the debacle against Japan, uh, Spain has turned around the bad feelings and awaits its opponent in the quarterfinals. 
Steph, five changes for Spain from their loss to Japan. How big a surprise was this before kickoff? No Alexia Pateas in the first 11 and an international debut for 22-year-old Barcelona goalkeeper Catacol at the expense of Real Madrid's uh, Misa Rodriguez amongst the changes. I mean, I think that's what you want to see, right? If things aren't working, then you want to see change. I hesitate to call it brave necessarily, but it's, it's certainly... You know, I don't think you'd find too many people would argue with it. There's also this aspect of like, in, with players, they respond to different kinds of motivations. I was talking to a friend earlier. Some players, they do really well if you put your arm around them and be like, "Look, I still have faith in you. I'm gonna keep playing you." Some players respond really well to like, "Look, you were garbage. You and I both know you're garbage. You're benched. You can like fight your way back into the roster." And then combined with you know needing to change personnel in in and tactics and lineups. Yeah, I I think seeing a, a big change after that big a loss, not a surprise. An early goal for Spain then, four minutes in from Aitana Bonmati and an unreal equaliser for Switzerland for all the wrong reasons from Spain's perspective, at least, Harriet. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of a, a rush of blood, I think. You could kind of see what she wanted to do, but I think the execution of passing it back to her goalkeeper, just, you know, she got far too much on it. Uh, Kadina and you know one thing that you're always kind of taught is you know do the simple things keep it on the ground if you're going back to your goalkeeper and make sure that it's at the foot that is their strongest um yeah and I saw um in our uh replies on Twitter when we we were t- uh kind of tweeting about the goal somebody met, somebody replied to us and said oh the goalkeeping for that I was like wow okay that it's definitely not the goalkeeper's fault there I'm not having that at mm. all not having it at all mm. But yeah, I mean, Bonmati with with two wonderful goals and the turns for each of those and, and the composure in the box to just pick her spot each time. I thought they were they were brilliant. And uh, Leia actually tweeted as well that uh, Bonmati is, you know, really starting to stand up as Spain's leader at this tournament. I, I think she's absolutely spot on there. Alba Redondo put Spain back in front and the third Spanish goal, not great off the ball defending from Switzerland and same again for the fourth, really, Harriet. Yeah, I think most of Switzerland's defending today was completely chaotic. It was a bit all over the place. I think when you when you know that you're playing Spain, you know probably that you're not going to have much of the ball. So your defending and your shape and your communication needs to be the best that it's ever going to be. And we just didn't see any resemblance of that from Switzerland. And yeah, uh, Redondo scoring from Ona Bache's cross. She was out on the left today rather than on the right which was an interesting change as well she spoke to us uh, and Katie Wyatt in my game my words uh, on the athletic which is a really really interesting piece actually to talk about how she's been practicing crosses like that left and right foot over and over and over again over the last few years and it's it's reaping the rewards now Steph, it ended 5-1 to Spain. Has Spain's chaotic energy given us the most entertainment in the tournament so far? We know how they're going to play. They're going to pass a lot. An unreal attack, but all over the place defensively. Some chaos off the field. That's understating it before the tournament. I mean, it is all very entertaining, unless you're Spanish, perhaps? Yes, and I think a lot of Spanish fans are very anxiously looking forward a couple of games, maybe prematurely, because I do believe that we were looking at the bracket and realizing, should Japan and Spain advance, they will meet each other again 
in the semifinals, which maybe is probably too chaotic for Spain. <laughs> Although I don't, I'm not an athlete. The players are always so crazy. And they're like, I want another chance. And I'm like, I don't. I want to go home. <laughs> like, what a relief it is to just go home and sit like in an air-conditioned basement with a nice drink and not have to get up from a couch. So that's why they're the professional athletes and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so Spain will face one of the Netherlands in South Africa in the quarterfinals. Their defence surely be exposed in the next game, but equally, could you see him get into the semis, Harriet? Yeah, I, I could. I mean, I think they'll have the confidence that they can outscore anyone, regardless of whether they're conceding. So and obviously it didn't happen against Japan. But I think, as Steph said there, they'll be keen to kind of completely put that to bed and, and just keep on kind of, you know, attack is the best form of defence, isn't it? What about you? What do you reckon, Steph? I could see them. So again, we're looking at the table. They're going to have to face the winner of Netherlands, South Africa. I could not tell you who that's going to be. My head is telling me to edge Netherlands here just based so far on the tournament. But my heart is telling me, don't be a dummy. You've tried to make predictions before and it hasn't worked (laughs) out well, like even based on logic. I do think that Spain might build into this. Bon Mati is one in particular who we're looking at. I have to shout out to Mary Griffin here, one of our writers for The Athletic, who made the comparison of Bon Mati to Christina Aguilera and Puteas to Britney Spears, (laughs) where, you know, both superstars in their own right, but one maybe more of a technician than the other who has flown a little bit under the radar like within the dazzling glare of their compatriot over to the side. So I think she's definitely one to keep an eye on for Spain. So Spain and Japan are our first two quarterfinalists in this World Cup. The Netherlands, South Africa, Sweden and the USA all in action tomorrow. We'll look ahead to their games next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, so tomorrow, Sunday the 6th of August, the Netherlands South Africa kicks off at 3am UK time. Sweden against the USA is 10am. Let's recap the journey these four teams have had so far in the tournament. Michael Cox looks back at the Netherlands World Cup. No Vivian Miedemar, but no problem so far for the Netherlands, who topped their group ahead of the USA. They started with a 1-0 win over Portugal thanks to a single goal from centre-back Stephanie van der Graak, who is retiring from football after this tournament at the age of just 30 to become the manager of RZ's women's side. They dominated the first half against USA, leading through a dual-roared goal before being pegged back to one all. Then they thrashed Vietnam 7-0, partly thanks to two brilliant long-range goals from Esme Brooks. In the 3-5-2 system, a major strength of the Dutch side has been their ability to play out from the back, particularly through left-sided centre-back Dominique Janssen. The Netherlands are capable of dominating in midfield, with Jill Roard in particularly good form breaking forward into attack. Lika Martens is always lively up front, and Victoria Pelova is a very useful right wing-back. 
South Africa a tricky opposition, but finishing ahead of the USA and avoiding Sweden is definitely a positive. The Dutch place South Africa and Tamara Griffin took a look at the African champions for us. South Africa became the second African country after Nigeria to etch their names into the knockout stages of the tournament, coming in second place in Group G with a win, a draw and a loss. African champions Banyana Banyana saved the best for last with a thrilling 3-2 stoppage time victory over Italy. Strikers Tembi Katlana and Hilda Magaya are both individually brilliant and play well off of each other to create an offensive threat. At least one of the two has scored in each of the team's group matches, and against Italy, they each notched a goal. Slight concern is that South Africa also have a tendency to save their concessions for last. Sweden scored their winning goal in the 90th minute, Argentina equalized with goals in the 74th and 79th, and Italy also scored their second goal in the 74th. Luckily, they don't have an issue scoring goals, but they'll need to sort out their ability to put a game to bed. That'll be crucial at the knockout stage. So, Harriet, the Netherlands are one of the few established teams to perform well in the World Cup so far. Favourites for this game, would you say? Yeah, I would say so. I think they've kind of grown into this tournament a bit. They had a bit of a a shaky start, but their performance against the US, scoring seven in their final group game will give them so much confidence going into this. And despite, you know, South Africa also having a lot of confidence from from their performance and, and qualifying for the knockout stages for the first time, I think they probably should be just a little bit too strong for, for South Africa on this occasion. Yeah, um, Steph, South Africa, you know, obviously ran Sweden close. They knocked out Italy. We can't underestimate them, can we? No, I think Tembe Katlana has been having a heck of a tournament so far, although obviously she's not the only player on that team. But just it's something that I think emotionally I felt coming. I spoke to her. She plays at Racing Louisville and NWSL in the U.S. And she is the most confident person you have ever met in person. <laughs> I walked into the room to interview her and she sat down and it, all of a sudden the vibe felt like she was interviewing me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're doing it this way now. That's fine. I love that. But you like to see a bit of personality like that, don't you, in these tournaments? And there seems to be, like you said, a confidence about them that you haven't seen perhaps with some of the other teams, would you say, Steph? Yeah, I think that we've seen in this tournament, teams play better, even if they don't necessarily advance, when they let go of that kind of feeling of fear. I think we saw it in the last group stage game from New Zealand, actually, where Mm -hmm. they kind of flubbed it against Philippines, which was the one game they were expected to win, with apologies to Philippines, who were great in that game. But then they come out of that, and to me, mentally, it looks like they're going, okay, the worst thing that happened, happened. Let's just go full send in the last game. And they really gave it their all. They were playing, you know, pretty hard out there um, against Switzerland. And again, even though they didn't advance, I think you kind of saw that mental flip of like, what is there left to fear? And we've seen it with other teams in this tournament too, kind of going, especially into their last games of group, going, uh, okay, we go out, we go out. What, what are we here for? Let's just play. Sweden take on the USA in the biggest clash probably of the last 16. Michael Cox reminds us of how Sweden have done up to this point. On paper, it's been smooth sailing for Sweden so far with three wins from three. In reality, it's been a little bit more complex. They were poor against South Africa and forced to come from behind and win with a last-minute goal. A 5-0 thrashing of Italy sounds dominant, but 
Sweden were being dominated themselves for the first 20 minutes, and they were effectively guaranteed a top spot before their last game, a 2-0 win over Argentina with a heavily rotated side. Sweden's main strength so far has been corners, which has accounted for four of their goals, including three in the win over Italy. Amanda Illestead, a shy and unassuming centre-back who has just signed for Arsenal, has headed in three of them. Sweden probably need to improve an open play to win this tournament. Peter Gerhardsson will hope there's more to come from Friedelina Rolfa on the left and Kosova Aslani as the number 10, while Stina Blackstenius might be more effective against more positive opponents who leave space in behind. This is a well-drilled side, although there's perhaps a question mark about goalkeeper Zachira Musevic, a slightly surprised pick ahead of Jennifer Falk. Sweden will face USA in the second round and they have a habit of causing the reigning champions problems. Based upon their performances so far, Sweden should be considered the favourites for that game. Yeah, tournament favourites, the US have stuttered, it's fair to say. Meg Linehan brings us up to speed on the reigning champions. The US women's national team are through to the round of 16, to the knockout stages, but it has not been an easy ride by any stretch for the tournament favourites. Obviously, an opening win against Vietnam, 3 nothing, with Sophia Smith stepping to the expectations around her to start this tournament, but then a 1-1 draw against the Netherlands and a 0-0 draw against Portugal saw them through. Yes, there are certainly players to watch right now. For me, it's Naomi Gurma, who has been the anchor of the U.S. Women's National Team's back line alongside Julia Ertz, who has been shifted back. But there are major concerns about this team moving forward. They look wildly disconnected. There are tactical issues happening. They honestly just look like a shadow of the team that won in 2019. Now, it's not the same team, so that is obviously a slightly unfair thing to say. But for the U.S. Women's National Team, they have to not just turn around a performance against Sweden, their old tournament foes, but reestablish why they deserve to be at this Women's World Cup and why they deserve to stick around through the final. And that's a tall, tall order right now. Well, Steph, I mean, there's been some brilliant articles written on the US team. I was reading one from Michael Cox and on how the Americans have always had that physical capability, that fitness to see them through. It feels like things have become undone and maybe more levelling up between the US and perhaps even the rest of the world. I wonder what the American mood is going into this one. Well, we just had match day minus one today, uh, as I'm speaking to you on Saturday, I believe. And the mood was, I would say, pretty serious. It wasn't necessarily somber. There was a little bit of joking. I don't know if you saw there was a bit of a to-do because the U.S. socials had called Melbourne Melby on their Twitter. <laughs> and the good Melburnians here were like, what are you doing? What's going on? Well, all my friends from Sydney were like, tremendous L from Melbourne. Well done. <laughs> You know, the, so there was a little bit of that, but there was a lot of like, you don't have to tell us that we just barely got into the round of 16. We know we barely mm. got into the round of 16. And you compare that to the Swedish press conference where they were like, we believe we can win. Uh, the history is history. It doesn't matter. What matters is the game tomorrow. And their coach, Peter Gerhardsson, repeatedly said, I believe we can win this game. And Steph, Sweden are kind of kryptonite for the USA at tournaments, aren't they? Yeah, they're starting to become the United States own personal boogeyman i compared it (laughs) with apologies to sweden i was talking to my editor earlier and sometimes i think they make the united states feel a little bit discombobulated kind of like 
the first time in a long-term relationship, your partner takes you to Ikea and you're like, oh, I feel <laughs> wow, a little lost here. <laughs> you know, like, oh, we have to go through this whole store together. Ah, uh, you're looking at king size beds. What does that mean? You know, that level of kind of like, oh, what's going on here? But as, as both sides said, like, honestly, I think both sides were pretty sick of being asked about, what about your history? The Swedish players <laughs> alone were like, that was two years ago. It was forever. And I'm like, yeah, I guess two years is like 10 years at this point. So mm. I, I think they're, and it, it's the mentality, right? It's a tournament mentality. Every single team here has said, I can't answer questions about the rest of the group. I can only answer questions about the game tomorrow. And it's kind of the focus that you have to have in order to get through a World Cup. Swedish set pieces, Harriet, not really a secret weapon for them. How good do you think the US will be at dealing with these, defending them? Well, yeah, like you say, they're not really a secret. They've scored quite a lot of them during this tournament, haven't they? The US will have seen that, will be preparing for that. And, you know, they're, they're physical in the challenge in the box. So even though they'll be aware... It will be something that they're also a bit concerned about, I imagine. But the US can score from set pieces as well, uh, especially if you irritate Lindsay Horan just before. Um, <laughs> She's going to get that header. <laughs> exactly. So I think I think both sides will need to be wary of the other on set pieces. But yeah, it's definitely one to keep an eye out for. Steph, any possible lineup changes? Do we think um, rumblings of a different keeper? God, I hope so. Wait, not on the keeper, <laughs> but on the lineup in general. Okay, sure. <laughs> that, um, that felt personal on the keeper. No, no, no. I'm actually like a big Alyssa Nair supporter. She did her time in Boston, and I'm like always, I'll always be grateful for the the performance that she gave a team that was really, ooh, it was bad. Um, I do hope there's a lineup shakeup because I feel like that's what the team needs, not just tactically, but emotionally as well, just kind of a switch. I don't know that they're going to be able to, for example, they've been kind of doing a a 4-3-3, which is their bread and butter. They're not going to suddenly come out in a 4-2-3-1 with like completely different personnel all of a sudden to be executing that really well. And nor, nor should they. I would hope that we see a little bit of change in midfield. Part of it is they're going to have to force issue because Rose Lavelle is out due to some yellow cards. I think I'll be really interested to see how they compensate for that because she is the player you look to to help break lines, to move the ball, to help create you know good movement around the attack. For Sweden, it feels like they keep doing what they're doing lineup-wise. Is that the case, Harriet? Yeah, I think so. They've they found a formula for winning uh, at this tournament, and even though it took them to the last minute in the opening game, they've been pretty you know comprehensive in their in their victories since since then so I think it is a case of kind of keep doing what you're doing be wary of the the different threats that the US pose obviously it's it's not necessarily going to be the the same kind of challenge this time as we've all been talking about here um this is the the pick of probably the round of 16 matches and it it's two very very good sides perhaps not in the best of form that they've ever been in but still two powerhouses of women's football So those are tomorrow's fixtures. Then on Monday, it's England against Nigeria, 8.30am our time, and Australia v Denmark, 11.30am. Well, thanks very much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests, Harriet Drudge, Steph Young, Laia Caveo-Herrero, and Michael Cox. I'm Shalowen, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Athletic.